welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 49th episode, our guest is Lynn Walsh. Lynn Walsh is an Emmy Award-winning journalist who has been working in investigative journalism at the national level, as well as locally in California, Ohio, Texas, and Florida. Currently, she leads the KNSD investigative team at the NBC TV station in San Diego, California, where she is the investigative executive producer. She is the national president for the Society of Professional Journalists and also serves the journalism organization as a member of SPJ's FOI and Ethics Committees. Lynn was also selected to represent SPJ on the Freedom of Information Act Advisory Committee, where she works to recommend changes to help improve the FOIA process. Prior to working in California, she was working as data producer and investigative reporter for the EW Scripps National Desk, producing stories for the 30-plus Scripps news organizations around the country. Before moving to the National Desk, she worked as the investigative producer at WPTV News Channel 5 in West Palm Beach, Florida. She has won state and local awards as well as multiple Emmys for her stories. She loves holding the powerful accountable and spends more time than she would like fighting for access to public information. Her passion lies in telling multimedia stories that deliver hard-hitting facts across multiple platforms. She describes herself as a data viz nerd who is obsessed with new online tools to share information on the web and mobile applications. Lynn is always interested in new projects surrounding FOI, public information access, mobile reporting tools, social media, and interactive journalism. She's a proud Bobcat alumna and graduated from the Ohio University's E.W. Scripps School of Journalism. And now on to the show. Hey, Lynn, it's Rob. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? Good, good. Did you have some time to talk now still? I, I did, yes. yes. Oh. Sorry about yesterday. With the travel, it was harder than I thought to get some phone calls off. So. Oh, no, that's okay. How was the uh, wedding? It was fun. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. It was a friend from college, and it was good to see people again, especially when I don't live where a lot of them are. So. Oh, yeah. sure. Absolutely. Um, just for uh, people that, that don't know who you are, if you could kind of explain about yourself and, and your role at the SPJ there real quick here. Yeah, so my name is Lynn Walsh, and I'm the national president for the Society of Professional Journalists. We are the oldest and one of the largest uh, journalism organizations in the country. Um, We have journalists in our group. We also have members of the public, and we work to protect the First Amendment, uh, freedom of the press, and also um, push for journalistic ethics. Right, right. And how did you yourself get started in journalism? What was what was your uh, start in that? So it began in high school for me. I wrote for my high school paper, became editor, um, and then from there went to college, went to Ohio University where I studied broadcast journalism and so did a lot of TV and online reporting kind of when MMJing was becoming the new thing. And from there, went into investigative journalism. Specifically, I've worked for an online-only um, nonprofit investigative news group, and then also television stations on their investigative unit. Okay. Um, and the reason that that we're talking now, of course, is because they the SPJ sent out that press release about uh, you know Trump, of course, calling the uh, media. I guess he was referring to some specific ones, but he kind of just meant in general. It seems like uh, the enemy of the American people. Uh, what was your reaction? when you first heard that? Well, 
to me, one, disappointed and also, you know, frustrating, you know, frustrated myself as a journalist, but, you know, from speaking, you know, on behalf of SPJ, for us, we see this as something that the public should be very upset about and should really take a stand against because even though he may have specifically targeted news organizations in the press, really what journalists do every day is so that the public can get information. And, you know, everyone is going about their daily jobs. I think of someone like my mother who works full time, you know, she raised four kids there's no way that she had a chance to go to school board meetings or go to a city council meeting or see what's going on. So she did rely on the paper, on the local television stations to inform her and kind of keep her up to date with what's going on and then also to let her know if something maybe isn't going on or isn't right that that is going on so they can hold them accountable. So I think for for us to hear the president, you know, the highest office in in this country and some would argue one of the most powerful people in the world, um, to being attacking the press, to me, it is attack against the public and, and our rights in this country and what this country was founded on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that for sure. Um, now, the the term fake news, uh, it seems like, has kind of gotten weaponized uh, and turned back in on itself. Uh, you know, when I think people started using that, it was more about the, uh, you know, the things you'd see on Facebook that <laughs> look like websites that they actually aren't and, you know, are things that aren't actually true in any way. But uh, the way it's being used now, especially by uh, President Trump, is to kind of just disparage anything that I don't like as fake news. Um, can you kind of talk about the fake news phenomenon or how that term should be or used at all, maybe? So. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's a difference between, you know, fake news and just an opinion or information or something that you maybe don't agree with, right? Um when a news organization publishes something that maybe is critical of President Trump or his administration or any anyone for that matter, just because that person may not like what it says does not make it fake. Um, and I think that's where I feel as if as a society, I hope we're not going into this direction of, you know, there are such things as alternative facts. There just aren't. There are opinions. There are facts. There are things that are absolutely true and can be proven. Then there are opinions, and there's other information that goes along with that, which is, which is great. I think more information is not a bad thing, but we have to be critical readers, critical listeners, um, you know, critical news consumers. Um, so, you know, but then again, there also there is such thing as a fake news, as you you know briefly mentioned, and it is these websites that basically we're trying to look like news organizations' websites and pass themselves off as legitimate news websites, but really we're just doing it to make money and we're making up information Mm -hmm. um, inside them. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, Now, uh, maybe, you know, one of the controversies in the journalism community kind of centers around what BuzzFeed did with that, um, you know, Christopher Steele dossier. Um, Now, you're an investigative journalist, and and I know that you also represent SPJ, but uh, what was your take on that? Because I feel like maybe the president and people that, you know, defend what he's been saying kind of point to that and be like, well, this is what we're talking about. This is unverified. You know, things have turned out to be wrong in it. And this was still gone ahead and, and published. What was your what was your take on that? Yeah, so I think I think that's a really interesting um, situation to look at. I think there are a couple things, kind of good and bad. Some things I agree with, and then some things I don't agree with. You know, for me, leading right now, I manage an investigative unit, and I looked at that. Okay, if that was 
let's say that same similar document was about a local leader here in San Diego, if we could not confirm what was published inside it, I do not think, and I'm pretty confident to say, we would not have ran with the story in that way. I think also, though, it's hard to say, though, because, you know, I think BuzzFeed was very transparent in how they laid out the information. So, you know, they wrote the letter and they said, you know, there are some things in here that we can't confirm. There are some things that we absolutely know are false, and they explained what those are. Mm-hmm. And they said there are other things, you know. So I felt like they were very transparent with, with their consumers, which is good. I think I, you know, encourage all journalists to do that. And I think on the other side, that's why with that story, you know, if you were to tell it and maybe not have leaked or not have shown the document itself, I think were you doing a disservice to your readers and to your users and your consumers because you weren't allowing them Mm -hmm. to look at what you were looking at. Um, So I think ultimately it would have been something that, you know, I probably, like I said, if I was looking at it from a, a local level, like if it's a local leader um, here, we probably would not have gone with that just because we weren't able to verify information. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between providing just all the information that you obtain, right? So like if WikiLeaks provides information out there, but there's no verification and there's no vetting and mm-hmm. you know, you're know you not talking to the people involved. And I think that's the difference between journalism in just people that are sharing information online is journalists are adding that context, trying to get that context, talking to people, self-verifying, mm-hmm. um, you know, once, twice, and sometimes three times. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, it's it's kind of hard to see from the outside because I, you know, I've interviewed my friend Jonathan, and he's not a journalist, and, and we were talking about that dossier, and he was like, well, it's frustrating to be out in the public here because apparently, you know, people in Washington, high-level journalists, not me, apparently I wasn't in that club. But uh, a lot of journalists seem to have that dossier from months ago, and you know all these people were making these uh, decisions and and seeing this based on this, and and you know the people out in the world aren't able to see that, and we're only hearing hints and whatnot of it. So it's it's like, are we not getting the full story when other people are? And it's like, yes, but you know, uh, would I have published it? Like you're saying, it's it's it would be hard to say yes because you can't confirm, you know. So it's it's published, but at the same time, I think there is a frustration of people out in the world being like, well, we don't know this very valuable information that, you know, other top-level people are seeing that we can't see, so. Right. And I think, you know, I also think, did, as you said, this is something that people had had before BuzzFeed had, had published it, so, you know, was there this pressure that, okay, if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it, which I think is the reality that, that we do live in. I think as journalists and as, you know, editors and news managers and, and news organizations, we have to really resist that urge to want to get everything on first and mm-hmm. be more concerned about it being accurate and fact-checking. And, you know, could could just some of it have been released, and now more details have come out later. So, you know, could the reporting have been a little bit different? And mm-hmm. in hindsight, I wonder, you know, how, how they feel about that. But in the end, I, I will say I was very um, impressed with their transparency, and I think nowadays, specifically when you're dealing with alternative facts and fake news claims that people do want to see 
original documentation. So if you are publishing something like that, mm-hmm. being transparent like that only helps. Right, right, definitely. And then uh, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but kind of going back to the campaign season, um, you know, WikiLeaks was, of course, dumping stuff uh, on a weekly basis. Um, of course, you had the Guccifer 2.0 with the DNC, you know, all this stuff. And, and I, you know, I quote, I'm going to say I, I quoted from those things in, in columns I wrote, so I'm, I'm not above reproach on that. But, you know, I, I kind of questioned myself, you know, should I have maybe not reported on those things? Could those things have been doctored? You know, I don't think WikiLeaks does any kind of verification for what they dump. They just seem like they dump it, whatever they have. So, you know, what is your take on, you know, because there are going to be more leaks in the future. This is just the way our world is going with technology and stuff. So what is your what is your general policy on reporting on leaks? Yeah, I mean, I think you always want to verify what you're looking at. So, mm-hmm. you know, if it is an email that's leaked, let's just say that's sort of, you know, very basic level um, you know, something that I would always do is, okay, one, can I put in a request to obtain this email myself? So, you know, from, so I'm in, I'm independently obtaining it from the government or from the agency, you know, if that's possible, if they're, if they're under, fall under public information laws or FOIA or anything like that. Obviously that takes time, right? And some things are time sensitive, especially, you know, during a campaign season where things are moving so quickly and the election is happening on a certain date, right? So mm-hmm. you can't, you know, it can't hold off for you to verify or self-independently obtain this document. Um, something we recently did here in San Diego is we, someone had given us something, I put in a public information request for it, but then also decided to go to the police department with the document. Um, they didn't dispute the document. Um, and we went ahead with the story. So I think, you know, that's another way, too, is to just very, you know, just confront and talk to the people who are named. Is this what you said? Is this your email? And, mm-hmm. you know, if they're not disputing that, then to me that is enough self-verification to then continue on with your reporting, right, because you have now verified um, that this is, in, in fact, you know, a real document and something that, that wasn't doctored. Um, you know, and there also are ways... And it takes time, but people can, when they look at documents, or especially if it's something that you obtained electronically, that they can, you can have different IT professionals kind of look to mm-hmm. see if things were doctored, all of that. And I definitely recommend doing that, and I think it's something that we're going to see journalists doing more and more um, as these leaks continue to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, also, you know, kind of been in the mix lately uh, with, with Trump, uh, you know, anonymous sources, um, you know, him decrying this, and if you see anonymous sources, it's not true. Um, I'm always very reticent to use anonymous sources. Uh, I I've done it before, but it's only been in certain situations where it was absolutely called for. What is, what is your take on using uh, anonymous sources? I think... It's like I would say overall, I try to stay away from them as much as possible. And I think mm-hmm. one thing that's important that when I've spoken to the public more so than when I speak to journalists is that an anonymous source doesn't mean that the journalist doesn't know who the individual is. And this is something that was kind of a big takeaway when I've talked to the public is that, uh, you know, people have asked me, oh, well, they're just like quoting someone on Twitter that they don't know who it is and they've never met them. And you know, that, that contacted them, and I'm like, well, no, I mean, in, in a newsroom, an anonymous source means that the journalist who's writing knows who that is. They're just not telling the public who that person is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a distinction that I think as journalists we may take for granted, but the public maybe doesn't understand. This isn't just someone we don't know that sent in an email to us, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, 
But I, I think, in general, I think staying away from them and trying to get people to go on the record is the best policy because I think it does, one, it allows people to hide. So if they are your anonymous source, it allows them to hide behind what they're saying, and you can't hold them accountable when you go back to them if something's incorrect or if the story changes. Um, so they're not being held accountable for what they're saying, so they could be more likely to potentially not tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I think also it does leave for a viewer, user, you know, a news consumer that they don't now know who is talking. So, well, anyone could maybe say that. You know, so you do lose, I think, some of that, you know, credibility a little bit mm-hmm. with your with your users. Um, but, you know, I think also, there, like you said, there are times where it does come into play. Mm-hmm. I would say what I've seen specifically coming out of D.C. when you look at it at a national level, there are, I think there's an overuse of anonymous and unnamed sources, and I think we as journalists really need to push back and get people to go on the record. And I know it's easier said than done because the moment you do that is the moment you may not get a scoop the next time or you may not be able to talk to someone the next time. Right. But I do right. think we really need to push back and try to kind of stop this kind of, I would say, overuse of anonymous sources or, mm-hmm. um, you know, high-ranking officials. No, they should go on the... Hello? Sorry, yeah, I got disconnected. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it was probably the NSA. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I like what you're saying about, you know, we should we should have people, uh, you know, go on the record and, and, and put a name to that. Because it, you're right, on the on the news end, or the news consumer end, you know, the, people want to know who's speaking. You know, they want to have a picture in their mind of, of who's telling them this information. And you kind of take that away from people if, if you don't provide that. So it, that is important, I feel like, so... But, um, you know, this has kind of brought about another uh, controversy in journalism in general, but, uh, you know, the the idea of access journalism, I feel like, is kind of on the the wane, and it seems like, you know, maybe this was always true, but it really seems like it's very true now, you know, when these reporters are just sitting in these press conferences waiting to be fed whatever the administration's telling them, that I don't feel like that's where the stories are coming from, so I feel like that, you know, maybe that was always true, and maybe now it's just been highlighted, you know, to a, to a certain degree, but um, what, what's your take on how news organizations should handle the, the press conferences that are coming out of this administration? Because it seems like it's it's almost like you could just set a tape recorder in the room and walk away, and, you know, you'd have about as much useful information as, as sending your best journalist to this kind of thing, so. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think a couple things. One, it does allow access because if you think about, you know, and I don't cover national as much as I've covered local and regional, but if I want to get a hold of, let's say, a mayor or, you know, a city council member and they're just not picking up the phone, they're not returning emails, when they when there is a public setting like that, so, I mean, you know, that's not completely open to the public, but in, a, in like, a press briefing, that is an opportunity to maybe ask some of those questions about some other things that you might be working on or things that you need clarification on. So I think, one, it's important for the access, right? I think also why I do think it's important to still have people there is because otherwise, let's say if you did just leave that tape recorder there, just turn the, t- the camera on, you're not holding them accountable or following up with any questions if they say something that just doesn't make sense or mm-hmm. needs clarification. Um, but I do think that you're right that, 
that should not be, and, and I don't think it is either, mm-hmm. but I also, you know, I don't think it should be where we're getting our stories from, or it shouldn't be the tone of what maybe, um, you know, the conversation in the news is for that day. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to cover, I think it's an important access for journalists and for the public, because that's how the public's going to end up getting that information. But I don't think it, you know, most of the stories, you know, that's kind of going to be the starting off point. Or those are just maybe the, the smaller, you know, kind of easier stories to tell. Mm-hmm. You really need to dig into the policies um, and, and work on those stories more often probably than just showing up at the, the press briefing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of along those same lines, there's there's kind of been some other controversy. You know, this, this again, is kind of an older controversy, but it's been brought into sharper focus lately. Uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Um, you know, to me, that just is the epitome of, you know, this is what the public sees as being wrong with, uh, you know, kind of this high-level, chummy access journalism. And it's like you're, you're supposed to be, you know, publishing things that people, people People don't want you to publish. That's kind of the definition of journalism, right? And it's like you're having this chummy affair, you know, or if it's all a joke and we're going to laugh it up, you know, that that just doesn't. It's not a good look. So, what is to me? That, that's my opinion. But what what is your opinion on that whole deal? Yeah. So having you know, I will say having never gone to one myself, um, and I've so never I, been I, invited. Maybe I'm just bitter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So I think you know, I think that's important, though. You know, context. Um, and again, I don't, I don't work in that, in mm-hmm. that realm of, you know, covering the sure. president and the White House and the right. administrations like that. Um, so I'm probably not, you know, the best person. But I think in general, you know, journalists were not meant to be friends with politicians and mm-hmm. with government officials and government employees. I mean, our job is to hold them accountable. I mean, that, that's one of the things we are to go cover city council meetings. We're to go, you know, cover a congressional hearing. And we report back the facts. And really, if, you know, government officials do like you too much, I think as a journalist, you do question, wait, am I doing my job then? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not asking a tough question or, you know, if someone never gets upset with (laughs) the questions that you ask, then I think it's, okay, are we we digging deep enough? Mm -hmm. Um, so, So I think, yes, there is some of that relationship. I think also, though, what sometimes gets forgotten is, you know, a lot of, storytelling is on developing relationships. And the reality is that you do develop relationships with these people that you're covering all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, I think you have to be clear with the boundaries of what those relationships are and um, have very frank conversations with sources and public officials and, you know, public information officers, spokespeople, um, so that, so that that's clear and you don't get into the gray area. It should be, you know, very black and white of, you know, when you're acting as a journalist, you know, mm-hmm. when everything's on the record and when something's off the record. Right. Um, and kind of going along with that a little bit, I've been struggling with this myself, but but what is uh, what is the future of object objectivity as such as it is in, in journalism? I mean, when you have the, the president uh, saying these things about the, the press in general, uh, you know, he obviously wants it to be an adversarial relationship, like it's a it's a war or whatever, running war or whatever he said it was. Um, you know, how, how do journalists, uh, what would your advice be to, to ma- maintain, you know, whatever objectivity they might want to keep? Because it's, it's, it's galling, personally, to, to hear that. And it's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to report the facts. I'm not going to make things up. But come on, like, you know, this is, this is new. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, he, I, do, I do agree. I mean, he has said, you know, he is at war with the media and wants to continue to be. And I think as journalists, we just have to 
you know, let that blow past us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, focus on the job, focus on our job, which is to gather information, ask tough questions, publish stories that the public knows and is informed about what is going on with their money and their communities, um, you know, in offices, you know, both locally, regionally, statewide, and, you know, at the national level. But I do think you are right, you know, when we are humans, and I think that is sometimes also what people may not, you know, just may forget is journalists are people. They have families. They have interests. Um, you know, they have all of this going on on top of their day jobs, as does everyone else that, you know, mm -hmm. has a job. But I think, so that can be hard when you do feel as if maybe you're being, your profession is being attacked or personally attacked by someone who is in the highest office in this country. Um, but I think because of how the job is, you have to say, you know what, he can say what he wants. We're going to continue to do our jobs. Mm -hmm. And I, I will say, I don't think this is anything new for journalists in general. I think it's new the fact that it's coming from the president mm -hmm. and the president's office. Um, but if you talk to reporters all over the country and all over the world, you know, this isn't the first time they've been told that their story is not true or that, you know, they're being mean to a public agency or why are they picking on this agency? I mean, especially as an investigative journalist, that's something I hear a lot. And I think some people are, you know, they're like, oh, you, that doesn't upset you. And it's like, well, that kind of means I'm doing my job. Because <laughs> I am holding them accountable. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I don't think it's new from that standpoint. And I think mm -hmm. that means that we are digging deep and doing what we're supposed to be doing. But it is different in the fact that it's coming from uh, the president. Sure, and I, you know, I'm I'm sure if I, I had levied these same complaints, lodged these same complaints with a journalist in in Turkey or Russia or somewhere, they'd probably laugh in my face because it's probably okay. 20 times harder to, to do their job there as opposed to here. Right. So I I don't know, maybe it's just our first little taste of, of pushback like that that we need to get used to, but. Um, you're also involved in the Freedom of Information Act Advisory Committee. Um, what can you tell us about that group and your involvement and kind of how should journalists use the Freedom of Information Act um, to further their reporting? Yeah, so the committee, it's on its second term, so it's a two-year term. My term just started late last year, so we've had only a couple meetings, so I still feel like I'm still getting started with it. But the board is made up of uh, government employees, so primarily public information officers or attorneys that deal with um, responses that are received under the Freedom, Federal Freedom of Information Act. And then it's made up of journalists, um, other attorneys who are on the other side trying to get information, people who run and organize, you know, access uh, nonprofits, uh, fight for government transparency. Um, you know, to me, I think the most important thing for for people to understand is, I, you know, they have the same access that a journalist does when it comes to the Freedom of Information Act mm -hmm. and the and state access laws. And I think that's sometimes what they don't understand. We don't, we're not using this because we're a journalist. It's actually something that's available and used by the public and is there for the public. And it's a right guaranteed, you know, for the public to have, to have this access to information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think... I encourage using it, I think, especially as we look at wanting to tell, you know, stories and being concerned about, you know, the gray area of it being called fake news or, like, someone who doesn't like the story attacking it or saying it's not true. When you can point to a document or point to a sentence or point to an email, it makes your case so much stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and I think then when you then publish that email and allow the public to see it, it allows them insight and it's it's going to take away 
some of those, um, you know, maybe complaints or people who are making accusations about it being fake, not true, or that you're being biased. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is amazing sometimes when you see what the FOIA results bring, what, what public officials will, are willing to put on a public uh, email address or, or server or whatever. It's like, wow, you know, this right. is, we can see this, you know, so <laughs> it's pretty interesting. But um, so uh, what, what, what are people who, what can people do who aren't journalists do to help journalists? You know, because I think there's a lot of concern for people that, that want to support our work that they feel like this is getting undermined and this is a real, you know, this is, a, this is a part of our constitution that is very important. But what can people who aren't journalists do to support journalists in these days? Well, I think one is, you know, reading and, you know, maybe it's buying an online subscription or, you know, that's sort of at a very basic level, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, reading these and, and funding, you know, this type of, of good journalism that is taking place. But I think also, kind of more importantly is, you know, stand up for it. Because as journalists, we are providing the information, but we really need the public to stand up. If they if they are not okay with the president or his spokesperson or whoever it is saying things that aren't true, they need to let they need to let people know. They need to let him know. They need to let, you know, different lawmakers know. And because at the end of the day it's not journalists who are really gonna change that. It needs to be the public that says, This is enough. We are, you know, we want to be told the truth. We don't want to be told things that are fake. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I will add to is just, you know, making sure they are reading and being critical news consumers. So, you know, look at where the information is that's being shared on Facebook. Is that an opinion article? Is it a news article? You know, just making sure you're aware and educating yourself and others around you about mm-hmm. what information is being shared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, getting near the end of my questions here, but was there anything mm-hmm. else I asked, didn't ask you about that you wanted me to get in there? No, I don't think so. This is great. Cool. Um, again, sorry it took a little bit to, to connect. Um, no, that's okay. And, and you said you're going to publish this on your... Uh, this is a podcast. Uh, it podcast. comes out on and on Friday. I'll, I'll send you a link here. So. Okay, perfect. Great. That well, sounds great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. And no I, I envy you being in San Diego here in the, the frigid <laughs> Midwest. <so. laughs> yes, although it's not sunny today, which makes me sad. But oh, that's darn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.
If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.